Hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am the temporary moderator. Maybe I should let you be the moderator, Patrick. I, I mean, I haven't done any thinking about how to ask questions and stuff. Are you wearing uh, a Boogaloo shirt? I am. Um, <laughs> Sorry, we should let's, let's start again. Let's start again. No, 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 no. Well, actually, <laughs> let's, let's talk about that because <laughs> they can't take this shirt away, right? Like this is this is. I live in Hawaii. I can wear yeah. this now, like like this without like the same kind of like ridiculousness that you do on the mainland. But it's like this is a, this is a symbol of of Aloha and culture, and like people in people actually people here in Hawaii that have found out about the Boogaloo thing are very upset. Yeah. About them appropriating the Aloha shirt for their cause because it's, you know, it's one of these things that was, you know, Protestants said like, Hey, you got to cover up. And then people here were like, well, but we can take this and take ownership of it and make it our own thing. And, and it becomes this unifying thing of, of culture here. And like, we're you know, people wear them on Fridays is like a, it's Aloha Friday. It's a thing. It's a special yeah. thing here. And these bastards want to take it from us. So, but yes, I am wearing, I'm wearing an Aloha shirt, but it is not a Boogaloo shirt. <laughs> anyway, anyway, moderator, I haven't done anything. If I had done any like thinking about how I would lead the discussion, uh, maybe I would be. And the, but there isn't as much need for a moderator when it's just FYI, everybody. There's only two of us here again, right? Uh, <laughs> because um, you know, here with Father Bun. Hey, hey. Yeah, it's and we're at this interesting moment because JP, of course, is in growing season and his mm-hmm. in his farming work, and so that's been the major focus of his attention, which makes sense. Um, and so he's he is editing the episodes and putting out stuff on social media, but he is not actively. So he's 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 currently serving as a producer of the show, um, and occasional Matt is being very occasional right now um, because of his work. Long shifts and yeah, yeah, and you know, plus we're trying to do, you know, four people having a podcast over three time zones and you know technically two continents yeah one of those time zones is in on like the on mars so right yeah so um so here we are so it's it, it, it's me father chuck and father funston um father fun we uh we are resisting the temptation to just turn this into like the most ridiculous episcopal <laughs> Uh, podcast possible mm-hmm. um, we are but we are here to talk about a movie that just recently came out um, the first the first Disney movie to ever be released on home media while it was still in a theatrical run mm-hmm. um, a movie that was severely impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic um, and but is also just a very touching movie that affects Patrick and I in a very particular way. And that is the movie Onward. Um, Onward. I just watched it the other night and I sent a message out to the group that I had seen it. And Patrick was like, you know, basically like we stand for Onward in this house. <laughs> um, and uh, by the way, I hate yeah. the phrase Stan. Yeah, Sam, I know. <laughs> I know. So, anyway. uh, so we well, thought so, this would be a yeah. good episode to talk about. We would talk about Onward and talk about, you know, I mean, it, it kind of touches on something that I've wanted to do on this podcast, and I wish Matt were here. Um, at some point, I will do an episode with you. We'll do an episode with you, Matt, me, and, and probably Keelan. Um, um, because I'm, I'm curious to talk about the ways in which um, we yeah. all, like I've talked about over the years, want to do an episode about like media and how we, how we consume it and see it differently since becoming fathers. Mm-hmm. 
um, and what and what that's like. Um, so. Um, oh yeah, definitely have some thoughts about that. Yeah, and so this 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 can kind of touch on that a little bit, I guess, because this is what this movie is about. So if you've not seen Onward, Patrick, would you like to give the summary? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, so Onward is uh, set in a uh, alternate version of our kind of modern world, where fantasy. Uh, and fantastical uh, characters, fantastical um, like races, like dwarves and elves and all those kind of Lord of the Rings type fare, um, existed in the in the in the in the, in the past. Um, and um, but instead of the, that world maintaining its magic and its fantasy, you know, hullabaloo, I guess. Um, that world in in that world electricity is discovered and science uh is a parallel thing and and so in the modern in the modern world of onward you have centaurs and a manticore and this kind of far history of remembered dungeons and dragons type questing and stuff alongside vehicles and airplanes and uh, electricity and that kind of thing yeah, it's basically like if you imagine, if you imagine Lord of the Rings scaled up to modern suburbia. Right, right. And so um, Onward follows the story of two brothers who uh, discover magic, um, basically, and that that magic uh, allows them to uh, attempt, I would say, to bring back their father, and um, and that then it goes awry, and so they go on a quest to try to. Uh, fix the magic <laughs> that has gone awry so that they can actually uh, have a conversation with their father. It stars uh, many people, but the, the brothers are played by Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and uh, I was going to say Chris Pine, but that's not who it is. <laughs> Chris Pratt. <laughs> the other one. Chris Pratt. Um, well, one of the other ones. Uh, Chris Pratt, um, uh, who's uh, Peter Quill. Yep. So, uh, so it's Marvel, it, some Marvel cut there. Marvel cut, yeah, some Marvel cuts. Um, Chris Pratt uh, doing, in my opinion, uh, his 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 damnedest uh, Jack Black impersonation uh, that yes. I've ever seen. I said that to Michael, and she was like, "No, no, it's definitely Chris Pratt being Chris Pratt." And I was like, "I, I he's definitely being Jack Black." <laughs> it's it's Chris Pratt being Jack Black. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, so onward. Is it's the story where the, the the father the father has died um, at some point previous. The the younger brother was just a just a baby and never real you know never met his father right. I think and, actually I think I, I actually think that the mother was pregnant with him. Okay, so it was even the movie, before that. Before yeah, the I think the movie. I, I feel like I recall the movie specifically saying that like the dad like they they actually mm-hmm. never encountered one another. And we don't and and we don't know the circumstances of his death and it's not really. Jermaine, but we do know that the older brother, the Chris Pratt character, um, was old enough to have a, have memories of his his, his father. Right. Um, and and uh, so it, it came out on like came out in theaters on March seventh or something, like pretty early on in March. And I've been watching it like you know watching trailers. I think the first trailer I saw of it, I was like, I definitely want that because there's a scene in the trailer where you find out that in this world unicorns are like raccoons they're vermin they eat, they're vermin they eat trash and stuff and it's just like and they, and they like hiss and it's yeah. just like I, I said that's brilliant like i yes. need more i need more of that right so, <laughs> so 
so I was really into it. I, I was really excited about it, but <coughs> I knew I wouldn't be able to see it with my kids. I also knew that it was about this dad who had died and they're trying to bring him back. I, I was on sabbatical and my sabbatical started on at the end of Fe- at the end of February it was a cycling trip that was going before COVID was going to take me um, on about six weeks, seven weeks away from home. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to see it. But I, but about a week before I left, I said, just a reminder, Michael, Onward's coming out. Like, you should definitely take the kids to see it. York still hasn't seen his first movie in theaters. Like, this would be a perfect thing for him to go see um, or whatever. And, and she said, is that the one about the dad dying? The, the one about the, the one where the dad is dead and you're about to go ride a bike on the side of, uh, of highways in like, the most populous part of our country. And we're gonna go see a movie about that. And then like, I'm gonna come home and find out that you've been hit by a semi and like, I'm not, we're not gonna do, we're not gonna do that or whatever. So we didn't get to see it when it first, when it first came out. But then when COVID came and they said that they were gonna release it, um, it you know, in, in theaters as well, you know, at the end of March, I think, uh, I definitely watched it as soon as I could. And I was very happy that I did. All right, good. So. So that, that so there's basically three three things I want to talk about with this movie, if okay. I can moderate. Um, the first is uh, you already touched on this is like I want to talk about fantasy, uh, the the genre and how that attracts us to like because it's funny that you mentioned the unicorn thing because I was intrigued by the movie but when I saw the trailer and they show that clip of the unicorns rooting through the trash, mm-hmm. I was like I'm sold. <laughs> And it's funny. I told I told JP that in a message. I said I said any yeah. movie that shows unicorns as vermin, like I'm on board. Like it's, it, clearly they get something that I that I'm. So it's funny that you and I both resonated with the same totally. thing that got us totally. into it. So I do want to talk a little bit about the about the fantasy setting of it and what's attractive about that. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about the the heart of the movie, which is the relationship with kids and their parents, particularly fathers and their children, um, because that's an aspect of the movie that attracted me to it. And I just sort of knew from the get go, like I was gonna, I was gonna cry when I saw this movie. Um, all right. So the fantasy setting, like I just said, we were both attracted to the movie by the same image. So fantasy of course is played. You, you've played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever, I've successfully created about seven characters for various campaigns. And then usually the campaigns, which tend to be like they, they were like overnight campaigns, like, uh, you know, spending spending the night at a friend's house kind of a thing. We'd end up spending the whole time like creating characters and then we would all fall asleep before we actually did anything with it. So I don't think I've ever actually played a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, but I'm very oh. familiar with it. Mm-hmm. So I have only played Dungeons and Dragons once and it was at occasional Matt's house with some friends. They were over and JP was like, we're going to give this a try. Now, I want to note that. I am a I am very very much a product of the Satanic Panic, right. and so Dungeon and Dragons CF episode three of Masters of Divinity. I don't know what it was. It was, it was like yeah. early. But go ahead. Yeah, we did early on the Satanic Panic, and so we talked a lot about that. Of you know where you know I grew up in this household where in this environment where Dungeons and Dragons was considered like you know level of like the Ouija board of evil. Like you're doing some kind of demon demon summoning thing. Um, really quick, what I'll mention is that. I read Lord of the Rings when I was in college. Um, first started at college, I decided I wanted to tackle Lord of the Rings. I read Lord of the Rings and I fell in love with it. Around that same time, 
um, I started playing EverQuest, which is one of the first big, massively multiplayer online role-playing games. Um, I had been into I had been in the into the role-playing genre, mostly Japanese role-playing games through like Final Fantasy and things like that. Um, the idea of a massively multiplayer game was awesome. I was working at a video game store at the time. All the guys I worked with were on, into EverQuest, so it was just sort of a natural thing for me to be into it. I could go on and on about EverQuest. Um, it's also one of the reasons why I never played. World of Warcraft, because I knew that if I played World of Warcraft, I would I would have no life. No problems. Yeah. So um, EverQuest is... Yes, my first point. episode on Master Divinity, which I think was episode number 11 or 12, where we talked about video games. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about this. Sorry. Yeah. So <laughs> so I, I, I mentioned this because I played EverQuest, and um, I was very interested in all the races and everything. And then one day when I'm working at Electronics Boutique, and I'm fronting shelves and everything we had started carrying tabletop role-playing stuff and so there was a dungeon master's guide um i had never you know i'd never seen one it was like this you know forbidden tome and so um one was it was open it had, it had been taken out of the shrink wrap so i'm like flipping through the dungeons master's guide because you know i like i'd heard about it from the weezer song and i was just very intrigued by it you know it was this taboo thing and i remember seeing a knoll in like the um maybe it was the bestiary anyway um but it was a knoll and they, those had been an everquest because i had been at the level where like we were dealing with um the knoll the knoll's burrow there between the city of quainos and um the other one and i was like whoa like this is in here so i talked to Bo or whoever this guy was, I was working with i was like hey i didn't realize that like you know dungeon dragon had this stuff he was like oh yeah dude he's like everquest is basically dungeon dragons and i had this moment where i was like oh my god I'm engaged in Satanism. I have I have journeyed up to the point of Satanism. Yeah, without even so, knowing I, I was in danger. So I mean, so I mentioned this because this is this is how fantasy like this is where like I learned that the fantasy genre and like Dungeons and Dragons and all this stuff are connected. And then that's when I learned Dungeons and Dragons isn't evil. It's just profoundly dorky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the so so this genre because of this video game thing and this whole taboo thing like this is all part of it for me, right? This is all in the background mm-hmm. for me. Um, and what makes it attractive to me is, I mean, just one thing is like, it's just cool, right? Like just the whole fantasy thing is cool, but there's always going to be like this little, this little thing in the back of my mind that this is forbidden. And so like, yeah, Yeah. so it's titillating. Um, but like inhabiting, you know, reading Lord of the Rings, just very like immersive thing. Watching the movies, very immersive thing. Playing EverQuest, which is an immersive thing, you know, but all of these stories are sort of quasi medieval. It's all... It's all castles and knights and valor and all of that kind of stuff. The idea that you would translate that up, like sometimes you see, like there's certain cyberpunk things that I know that take a sort of circuitous route where they sort of have fantasy elements, but it's set in a dystopian future. No one, very few people have ever really taken it and put it in like very boring suburban context. And so... To take this thing that, like, for me is like super tab, you know, has this taboo element, this, you know, this titillating thing to use your word, and then put it in the mundanity of contemporary suburbia. Like, you've got a ticket sold for me. I love the setting of this movie. I want like an anthology series set in that world. Um, I wanted more of the world um, because I was just intrigued by it. Um, yeah. And so that was the first thing that grabbed me about it and why I was on board with the movie. Um, what about you? Like, what's what's your background? Obviously, you've, 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 you've had a little bit of D&D, um, Dungeons & Dragons, oh, sure. to the layman. Um, <laughs> uh, 
um, background. So, like, what's what's your what's your experience with like fantasy and what's that? Without getting too yeah, much in the weeds, because episode on this, but yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm I, I, I want to respond to that by saying uh, that I'm I'm. I'm shocked that it took you as long as it took you to actually watch this thing. And I, I know that part of it was because you were related or you were moving and everything, but like we watched it as soon as it came out on Disney plus, like when they announced they were going to dual release it, I was like, sign me up. We're doing that. You know, like I, I was on it. Let me just say, I, I've been trying to watch it for a very long, like, since the day it came out on Disney plus. Oh, okay. But you know, my household is like top to bottom star Wars right now. And so my boys have been sort of like, Oh, we want to watch star Wars. You know, mm-hmm. I think they've watched like Rise of Skywalker twice before they watch yeah. this, which I'm, I'm I made my Ernie fought me on it. I think she wanted to watch Star Wars, too. And I just said, no, I'm watching this. If you want to watch TV, then you're going to watch this because I'm, you know, I'm the dad here. Um, and and we finished it. And she said and she and she said, I'm really I'm glad that you made me watch that. It's <laughs> like that will never happen again in my life, but I will I will take it. She was very excited. And then we watched it, you know, five or six times in the next couple oh, nice. days. So um. Yeah, fantasy. Uh, so, uh, no issues with satanic panic in my in my upbringing. Because um, you had a healthy family. Yeah, no, I mean we were just healthy Episcopalian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just I, not even a healthy church environment. It just was such a different world. Um, but you know, fantasy was always something that was like on the on the periphery for me. My my upbringing, especially because of who my dad is, is much has been much more focused on science fiction. And as much as science fiction and fantasy can be separated, you know, often in the in the book bookstores, remember those uh, science fiction and fantasy were inter intermingled. And, yes. and for us and for me, it was it, fantasy was always a different thing, and it wasn't something that I was super into. Um, but I but but because it wasn't a a forbidden thing. I also was conversant in it, and I had, you know, friends who were conversant in it. I'm trying to think about the first. You know, I read, um, I read C.S. Lewis. I read Chronicles of Narnia when I was very young. Um, I read, um, I read Lord of the Rings when I was young. Like you know, all like, so it was it was always a thing, but it just was never something that really like inspired me or. And and I would still and I would say that it's still that that's still the case. Like I, I definitely see myself more interested in science fiction type of things. But I do remember one of my dad's favorite um, series and one that he had me start reading when I was pretty young um, was Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders of Pern series. Oh. Are you familiar with those? No. That's kind of it's kind of what you're talking about, where it's this it's this idea of like human beings going into the far you know going out and exploring planets, go into the go off into the future, and well, but when you start reading the first book, the it's it's this whole world where there's dragons and there's these people who ride the dragons and that's it's it's like a fantasy it's like a fantasy world, but then over the course of the over the course of the book, you discover and realize. That what we're actually talking about here is like a far future of humanity where you know technology's gotten to the point where we've been able to go off world and then this world like loses contact with the home world basically and they're able and because they have science and stuff before the science all breaks they're able to like genetically engineer these lizards to become full-size dragons and, and now it's been thousands of years later and you know etc so it's like fantasy but with in the in in the the genre of science fiction as well. So, um, I I did play World of Warcraft. Um, I got I got really into it. I I played uh, Final Fantasy XI before that and got way more into that. Um, 
lost several relationships because of that game. Um, <laughs> which is like it's it's fantasy, but it's Japanese fantasy, which has a, it just has a different vernacular, you know. Right. Um, and um, and and yeah, so I it's it's always been something that's been on on the periphery for me, um, and that I'm familiar with. So. So yeah, that's my fan. Oh, I will say that the game that I played, just as a sidebar, that I always felt a little like that it was a little titillating. It wasn't because of it was just because of the game that it is. It was Diablo two. But when I was in high school, playing Diablo two, I never felt I never felt like I was gonna get in trouble for playing this game. But I was always like shocked that I was playing a game where there was like legitimately demons that I was you know like battling and using right. powers and sex and stuff. So, um, so yeah, so fantasy, um. Yeah. The uh, yeah, and I, I and like so so let's try to figure out just for take a moment just to figure out what is it about seeing mm-hmm. like a suburban fantasy and seeing yeah. like again seeing like when you said that unicorns and Pegasus yes, as vermin, as vermin why yeah. that so why when that you, gets... <laughs> when you're when you said the thing about fantasy in suburbia the thing that I immediately came to was another Pixar property which is The Incredibles. And I remember one of the things that was so interesting about The Incredibles was this idea of a world where superheroes are a real thing, but they have, because of political reasons and everything, they have to have these, uh, the their alter egos, their secret identities, uh, become their whole life. Um, and just like that's just it, like I think that's just that's just a, like an interesting kind of idea. Um, the thing the thing that gets me about the the vermin about Pegasus and uh, and uh, unicorns being vermin is that I just love anything that subverts something. <laughs> really, I think I'm just like I think yeah. I just love subversive stuff. And like we're we're in a we're in a cultural moment where unicorns are very 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 popular right now and they are very 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 popular in and i you know we try as hard as we can to be as gender gender non-conforming as we can but the whole the whole like girls section of target remember remember going to places like target like there it's 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 completely unicorns like it's just and rainbows and all that stuff right which is fine and good and everything but they're just very popular, and they're always portrayed in as very majestic beasts and beings. And it's just like it's impossible to get to, to find a unicorn that isn't like buff and like they're just awesome, right? Right. Awesome. And so just like just like the 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 cojones to like say that thing that's super popular and like beautiful and is like the ideal of like whatever and everything like that. Like that's imagine that that thing eats trash. Like that's what, <laughs> that's what happens in a world where, <laughs> you know, like that, like that just, it just, it just makes me laugh, you know, which adds an interesting dimension to Barley, which is Chris Pratt's character. The fact that he has one airbrush on the side of his van, mm-hmm. which is like, that would be like, we look at it like that's metal, but it would really be the equivalent of having a raccoon airbrushed <laughs> on the side of your van. But that's the thing; like you airbrush anything, and it can be cool, right? That's true. That you is know, true. So, so you could you could airbrush a, a, a raccoon, and that would be cool. Like, Did like I, rac- I, raccoons are actually great and cool. They're cool animals. They're only like yeah. trash monsters because of us, right? Trash like, it's animals. not. It's because we made. It's because we make trash, and that caters to the raccoons' kind of base basest instincts, and they become tra- trash pandas. You know. Yeah. Um, just as a as an aside, have I ever told you about the the weirdo woman? It was a woman um, who worked at 
the Christ, the family Christian store in Orlando that had a PT cruiser that had scenes from the book of revelation airbrushed all over it. No, it was amazing. That's I wish cool. I had pictures of this, like just a sheep made of eyes. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing that really to me works with this movie is I love the way that they've taken all this fantasy stuff that like is epic and then they've subverted it into mundane things, right? Like, um, I love that in, so first of all, the Manticore's Tavern is one of my favorite moments in the whole movie because it's this mysterious thing where the quest begins and the Manticore is supposed to be this being, which by the way is, the Manticore is, the, is rooted in Persian mythology, which is the basis of like the, the stinging beasts in um, mm-hmm. the Book of Revelation. Um, the, uh, you know, but she's this quest thing and you walk in and it's, it's a theme restaurant. Right. And there's right. one in a mascot costume, which is, oh my gosh, my boy is watching it with me. We're like in tears laughing at that whole thing. <laughs> um, but like what I love is they see that there's like arcade thing in it and there's a, and there's gauntlet, which like the logo is like the gauntlet arcade game we're used to, but it's right. actually just like a, you know, claw game, um, which apparently uses the, uh, the infinity gauntlet as the gauntlet to get oh, interesting. Um, but, um, lots of, lots of background Easter eggy stuff. If you look, oh, totally, totally. But, um, you know, I love that. I love that. I love that the dog, the dragon is like a dog and he mm-hmm. has a little, like, he has a little pitchfork wielding, um, villager as his chew toy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it, like, there's, 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 there's all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think like what Disney does really well, and I think it's because they do it in real life is world building. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's why I think it's so compelling is because they've just, they just think about all this stuff and like, you know, finding all the Easter egg stuff and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think we've had episodes about the power of Easter eggs and, yeah. and how they, you know, it's, it's kind of a form of nostalgia catering and like, there's all, there's all kinds of stuff about that and they just do a good job with that. But then they just build worlds in a way that is, that feels real, even though you're talking right. about you know, elves and whatever else. Well, it's kind of like in Watchmen, right? Like, you know, one of the things that Alan Moore said with Watchmen is that in a world where there are superheroes, you wouldn't need to have superhero comic books. And so, you know, so they imagined that pirate comics were a thing. Become a thing. Um, yeah, so I like the way that this movie did similar kinds of things, like where, you know, magic is part of your history. And so, like, you know, you don't need it to be, you know, and there's just great little things, right? Like the trolls run toll bridges. Um, they run the toll right. booth, and like if you look on the window of the toll booth, it says that they accept cash or riddles. Um, you know, so like, and I love the idea too, right? Like, there's this, there's like the the, the traditional, like, there's this this little interesting subtext thing in the movie that they, they, I wish they did more with, which is the idea of them trying to erase magic and erase that past, right? Um, because that's like Barley's whole character, it's all past of it or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they don't do enough with Barley's character, I think. It's my one criticism of the movie of how, like, he's constantly getting in trouble with the law for trying to be someone who's preserving, you know, like, a historic, you know, a magical fountain. Or he knows about, you know, this historic, you know, path that leads to where they want to be. But, like, it's been paved over with the interstate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so there's there's that piece of the story that I think is really compelling and interesting. I mean, obviously, it focuses more on the, the dad stuff. Um, which let's just acknowledge this is a really weird movie. Yeah. Um, because it's not only is it suburban fantasy, it is also kind of weakened at Bernie's. Right. So we should explain that the, the, the magic 
the it, it turns out that you know some people in this world are gifted in magic and some people are not. Most it is atrophied in almost everybody. Nobody actually right. uses magic anymore. Um, on his name day, whatever his 16th or 18th 16th birthday, 16th, 16th birthday, birthday. Um, we find out, or the 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 Tom Holland character um, gets a package, the gift from his deceased father that is a magic staff, and uh, he and a phoenix is, stone, and a phoenix stone and a spell. And so he uh, he uses in, in in a moment of of inquiry he uses the spell, discovering that he's got magic, and he starts to the spell acts as a conduit to his dead father. Not a conduit. It just uh, brings back the memory of his father or something, and he starts to build him from the from the feet up. And then he I, I'm not exactly sure what happens that makes the stone break, but somehow he loses his he loses the he loses the the heart, the whatever the heart fire, right? He 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 loses it, and the phoenix stone breaks, and his father has only been constructed up to his waist, right? And so he it's, it's like only his father's waist and down his legs, right? And and so um and the phoenix stone breaks, which means that he can no longer he can't finish the spell, and the and and it turns out that spell is only going to last for twenty four hours, and they decide that the quest that they're going to go on is to try to find another phoenix zone so they can finish the thing so they can see their dad who has as we said been dead for 16 years yeah so it becomes a road movie it becomes um you know and then they at one point they construct a sort of you know a a simulacrum of their dad by using like a a bundle of clothes it's in the in barley's van and so it becomes like weekend at bernie's um -hmm. which produces some of the funniest parts in the movie Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the the moment the, the the first movie the first moment in the movie that made me cry was when the dad's legs come walking out of the closet and Barley taps the little drum beat on his dad's foot because that was a little game they had one of his only memories he had from his dad and the I started thinking like the power of touch that that shows because like it's weird like that just a pair of legs that never says a word can communicate so much emotion in the fact like when it starts tapping on the ground and feels for um feels for um remind me what's the other kid's name is it ian, ian. Yeah. yeah um feels his foot and like of course i go to this whole theological place of like the power of touch that we see with the re- with the risen jesus in mm-hmm. um with the, with thomas and mm-hmm. mary and, and the whole thing um you know to just that little touch communicates so much um well, that, um, and that touch, yeah, theologically that touch, but then also like to shout out Disney's animators, like they are just so skilled now at like conveying emotion <laughs> through legs, you know, like you're able right. to see he's you're able to see his the, the legs express excitement and and happiness and sadness and all of all of these things that are just it's just, you know, from the belt down. It's 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 amazing what they can do. Right. And um um, yeah, there would be, I, I'd be, this would be actually a really interesting movie to do some kind of like some various types of film film analysis on. But um, but yeah, that communicate like like with the goofy dancing um, scene, you know, it's like you know it's dad dancing, it's awkward dad dancing, yeah. but they make it you know they make it work. Um, yeah, it's a movie that puts a lot of different things into one into one storyline. Um, does I think a pretty good job actually of, of of balancing it out. I mean, there's some things I'd love to see more of, but it, it never gets too distracted on one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, and it deals with and it deals with a lot of regret. I mean, that's probably the emotional heart of the movie is regret. You know, the mm. 
you know, mm-hmm. regret of not being able to truly say goodbye to your father, regret of never having got to meet the father, right, you know, right. regret of giving up your past identity as this warrior manticore thing in order to have like a, you know, a basic business um, and rediscovering that that truth, which is Disney is really good about that as well, because that's kind of what Moana is all about. Sure. I mean, it's what so many of them are. Right. Yeah. It's what um, Let It Go is. It's yeah. Um, and so, um, and so that's, you know, and I still haven't seen Zootopia. That's a movie I really need to see. I don't yeah. know. But, um, but anyway, it's, and so I'll just get to the personal place to talk about like us as fathers watching this movie. Yeah. Um, oh man, I just, I just like remembered your life. That's <laughs> all right. So I didn't, I like it so funny because like, it's, it's not funny, but like you're, when you were talking about like, oh, it comes from a place of like, you know, for I was like, yeah, he's a dad and I'm a dad and like that makes sense. And he's even got two sons, like two sons here. That's what he's talking about. That makes perfect sense. It's not what he's talking. I mean, it is partially what he's talking it's about. It's partially what he's talking about, right? This yeah. was like, yeah, this movie was designed to <laughs> Sorry, kind of break me because so for listeners uh, who don't know, um, so basically everyone but my mom um, is um, I've never met my dad. Um, <laughs> he is alive somewhere. Um, um, he maybe he's listening. I don't know, but um, probably not. Um, he's a jerk. So, uh, <laughs> so the, the story of it, I'll just, I'll just air my stuff. I don't care. Million, you know, five people listen to this podcast, um, and a bunch of robots. Um, when my, when my mom got pregnant, with, uh, now, now I feel kind of weird. Maybe it's like her story and not mine to tell, but basically, um, my dad decided that he did not want to, um, he did not want to be a father, um, anymore. Um, he had two daughters from a previous marriage, um, and, uh, decided that, uh, you know, this was not the life he wanted. And so, um, 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 he, he left my mom when, um, when she got pregnant with me and I, I never grew up with, I, I, I had a couple moments in my life where I sort of felt, you know, like, you know, like I wanted to, but then I pretty quickly got over that and realized that, um, that I just, some people don't have dads and I don't have a dad. Like that's just kind of, mm-hmm. and I, and it's one of these things I just, as an aside, people in my life that I've told that to you have a really hard time understanding. Cause they sort of feel like, Oh, you've, you've, you've got to have some kind of emotional thing about not knowing your dad. Mm-hmm. And I, I really don't like, mm-hmm. you know, if there's been anything about it, it's been since I've become a father, um, I've sort of been baffled by the fact that somebody would just like not be curious mm. about their kids, um, about the kid they have. Um, you know, that's that's just sort of been baffling to me. Like, why wouldn't you even, you know, but but in the sense of like, do I feel like I don't feel any kind of hurt of rejection or any kind of like existential thing because of that? It's just like, you know, he didn't want to be a part of my life. That's fine. Cool. Whatever. Like that you're mm. lost. Um, and so, um, but I can, but I can capture that, that sense of like, you know, what if there's like, there's this person that I never met and they they provide like this part of my, per, of, of who I am, right? Like just genetically and, you know, and I've inherited parts of their personality. So there is that kind of morbid curiosity piece of like, you know, what would it be like to meet this person? So like, I get that where I don't resonate with the character of Ian in the movie is I don't. I don't look at that as like, I'm going to find some kind of missing piece of my life Mm -hmm. if I encounter this person, Um, like that I'm going to suddenly be a better, like a more confident person or whatever. And that, you know, and that's probably the difference between having a dead dad versus a deadbeat dad is when you have a dead dad, you kind of mythologize this person. When you have a deadbeat, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, he's, Mm -hmm. you know, he was a sperm donor. He's out there. 
but um, but also like but people are also doing that to him as well right you probably right, did not have right. anybody in your life who was saying like man your dad was so great like his his whole thing was great and he was super confident and like all those right. things that, t- yeah. that, that give you a narrative. It's it's interesting that you use the word mythologize, right? And we're talking about a world that's rooted in fantasy as well, right? That there's like yeah. that he's that he's grown up with the world giving him. You know, any any time we describe a, per- a person, we are giving a fantasy of what that person actually is, because there's no way that we can describe something somebody in their wholeness, even somebody we know the the best, right? And how much of that we hold on to um, can dictate what our attachment to that it, to that is, you know? And, and so I think about, like, you, you know, we talk about D&D, right? And, and like, for, for, for people, for people who are really into D&D, it can sometimes be because that's where they had, that's where they found community, right? They, right. they were picked on or whatever else. Like, you know, it's just like the way that sports work for other, for sports nerds, you know? Like, you, the, the thing, the, the, the narrative that you are, creating for yourself is 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 centered inside inside a mythology that you become you know a a a part of um and so you you have the you have the benefit that ian doesn't have of people not remembering for you all the time you know right and i will say one thing i really appreciated about my family and everyone growing up is that like i didn't deal with i didn't deal with a mother telling me that like my dad was an awful person Mm. you know like you know, she, you know, she loved him. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, you're, you know, she, she recognized that there's parts of him that were lovable and parts that weren't. And so like my mom, you know, she, she shared me, you know, she shared some stories with my dad about, you know, that have been helpful for me. Like when she, you know, when there've been times when I've acted like him, she's like, Oh, that's something your dad might've done. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, okay, that's cool. So like, I can think of, you know, I can think of some, some positive things that are there, but it's never, he's never been hyped up. And he's never been torn down. He's just been, he was, you know, just. He's and your just mom's not the type of person who would ever have used him as a weapon, nope. like that, used her hurt of him, about him as a weapon to say, like, nope. oh, you know, you're acting like your dad was never a, never something to wound you. It was more just like a, just FYI, like this thing that you're doing. It, yeah. it wasn't right. It's just like, oh, you know, your dad left me, and you're acting like him now, and I want yeah, yeah, to yeah, say yeah, these things yeah. to hurt you. She would never. She never did that. Never did yeah. that. She never yeah. did that. Um, Good job, Ron. We yeah. love you. No, I mean honestly, like, uh, I can't imagine a more healthy, like, parental situation like this than the than the childhood I've been given. You know that, mm-hmm. you know, because I, you know, I know that my mom dealt with has, has dealt with a you know fair bit of them. I mean, you just deal with emotional baggage when it comes to this sort of stuff, right? Like, you know, this person you've been with for eleven years and you love them, and then they just split on, in these content in this sort of context. You know, like that's gonna bring up a lot of stuff, and it would have yeah. been so easy for my mom to to just trash him all the time. And you know, I've seen that. I've seen you know what's happened with broken marriages and stuff, and I've seen how that you know what that baggage puts on. You know, some kids are like determined to never be like their dad because they know how awful he right. was or whatever. And you know, the fact that in a weird way, it's like I I my my dad is more of like a real person than some people have right because you know again there's no, there's no myth to him there's just facts mm-hmm. um and so like i don't i don't carry any kind of preconceptions or misconceptions about the guy um 
And so, so anyway, that, so that's a piece of this story that like, I, I kind of identify with on some level, right? A very small level, but I, I'm there with it, but I'm also the father of two boys. And so like, for me now, it's more watching the movie about imagining that I'm in the dad's shoes mm-hmm. and you know, what would it be like for me to not have a life with these two boys? Um, yeah. and, and, and so, and then of course, oh God, you know, spoilers for people when you find out that the real heart of the story is more about the brothers than it yeah, actually I'm so glad, is. I, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm, so, I'm glad you said spoilers because I, I think that it's so, I think it's so much a part of how the movie reveals itself that that, why that, that is so the, that that's the important relationship. Yeah. Um, and you know, so to just, you know, Oh God, like a scene in a movie that always, that like I I think of it constantly and it just always sort of just it always hits me emotionally is toward the end of American History X when mm. they show Edward Norton's character and Edward Furlong's character as toddlers playing on the beach and their their brotherly relationship that they have with each other and it's so innocent and you find out you know they grow up into these very monstrous people. Mm. Um, but there's this very innocent thing of, you know, the older brother looking out for the little brother and sharing that kind of innocent brotherly love. Um, and you just see where it kind of all goes wrong, but you also feel Edward Norton's guilt over his failure to really, you know, because of him getting involved in his crap, being failing to be a good big brother and example to his little brother. Um, so any kind of movie that's going to deal with that, like it hits me in a very interesting emotional place. And it's weird because of course I'm, I'm an only child. I don't have as any siblings. Yeah. Um, but so like to sort of transplant that and to see, you know, like these moments where Charlie is just like an amazing big brother to Ford, um, you know, to see that relationship and the importance of that relationship. And sometimes to think like, oh, God, we're screwing up. And then it organically happens. And you're like, oh, yes, like it's yes, there. yes. Yeah. Um, so to have the movie acknowledge that relationship and the role and also being being a guy without a dad the way in which other relation, other familial relationships sort of fill that void. Right. But like in a way where like, you know, Barley's not trying to be his dad. He's right. just being his brother. Um, you know, my grandfather played a very fatherly role for me, but he never tried to be my father. Right. He was always my grandfather. You know, I've had pastors and other people who played, but they always did a really good job of not trying to be my dad. Right. And, I, and I've always appreciated that. Um, yeah, so let's see what, them for what they are. What I appreciated about that part of the movie was the, that 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 reveal at the end is that it wasn't that Barley Barley never would have thought never would have come to that realization on his own, right? It it, it right. needed Ian Ian needed to see, you know, the way that it happens in the movie. He's got this checklist of all the things that he's going to do with his dad or that he wants to do with his dad because he never got a chance to do them, and he starts to look down his list. And realize that he has done all these things, you know, and he, he he goes back to all these memories, some of them very recent memories, some of them further back in in in, in growing up, and realizing that his that he did get to do all these things because he did them with his older brother. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm interested in your connection to this because I'm I think one of the things that was so like revelatory about Frozen was that it that it's that that its emotional crux in the the love that it was. Uh, that it was exploring was that was a, was a love between siblings, you know, that it wasn't, and, and it, it took a while. 
it took a while for it to get there because it was subverting, you know, this this Disney, this what seventy five year Disney history of the 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 most important kind of love is the romantic love between a prince right. and a princess and you've got that you've got a thread of that and a character in there in Anna who thinks that that's what the movie is about but then it turns out that at the end it's really about the the sacrificial love that she that she has for her sister that her sister has for her and that they've had for each other this whole time um that a movie that comes out what like you know 5 years later is doing a similar is doing a similar thing is also exploring the sibling relationship. It's just interesting that it, that we're at a cultural time where that's happening so quickly, you know. Yeah. And then Frozen Two comes out and it's more of the same, you know, as far as, far as Frozen Two. So. Yeah, um, I think of, I'm excited about that. You know, I, I think that's I, I'm I'm excited about that as a as a parent, especially as a parent of a of a girl, as we talked about other you know recently, who yeah. is just going to be like her whole life is going to be pounded in her brain that like what she needs is a dude who's going to like love her or whatever, and she's being told by these movies now that what's actually important is the relationships is the relationships she has in her nuclear family, her friendship relationships, and her, her relationship with her brother. I. I was uh, I started journaling in June, sort of bullet bullet journaling, and I was this morning I was doing my like monthly migration, and so what you're supposed to do is look go back and look through kind of everything that's happened in this last month and kind of figure out like what do you want to keep and what do you want to bring forward and all this kind of stuff. And I was looking back at one of my notes and I said something about how I, I had remarked about how this one day I'd realized that Ernine is you know she's always she always wants. She she receives compliments very well and she receives criticism very poorly, right? Um, but she seems to be the most proud when she's being praised for being a big a big sister. And I was just like, and I wrote that down. I was just like, that's something is interesting to notice because she is such a great big sister, and you know, and it's a reminder for me to reinforce that pride that she has when she is you know by by praising her in those moments. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I um I I I think it's one of the one of the complications that we deal with um you know when I when I think of when I think of this the, the, the what you're bringing up the the emphasis of familial love that has happened in a lot of the Disney movies recently um I think of CS Lewis and the Four Loves mm-hmm. and I think about kind of we've, we you know we we've done this weird thing where we've internalized in English and maybe it's because of the Christian stuff too. Maybe and maybe as a Christian, I see it this way. But I feel like we've internalized this notion of four loves. And so, like as a as a as a post-evangelical Christian um, who was raised on that all that idea that you know that there's different kinds of loves in the Bible. There's you know agape and eros and all this stuff, and that you you're really trying to the other ones are sort of lesser importance. So you're really trying to get to agape or whatever. And so we've really complicated this thing. And then, of course, you know, we, we always talk about pop culture and how pop culture sort of reduces all love down to romantic love as though it's the only love. Yeah. And so there is so I have this like this weird this, there's this weird duality in the way that I understand love whenever whenever popular culture communicates, you know, tries to communicate love. And so one, it's refreshing to see that we're you know, that, that like Frozen could be bold enough to say that loves that true loves kiss can actually be a family member and that not be creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, um, but also with this understanding that the, you know, the English, the English language is very limited in how we communicate love. But 
at the same time, I think we're entering into this phase where we recognize that and we're, we're getting more comfortable with the idea that love, like we don't have to have separate loves for separate words for different loves. Like we, we can understand that there is this inclusive nature of love and that love doesn't have to be reduced down to just Eros. It can be, you know, that love, you know, that love is, it's, it's multifaceted. Um, and, um, you know, so I like, yeah, like I said, I appreciate it and I'm glad that, and I'm glad that we're getting more of it. Um, and putting that front and center and that it, you know, one doesn't have to be a lesser of the other and one doesn't have to be a replacement for another. Right. Cause there's been like, you know, there's controversy with frozen around, you know, people trying to say that it was this coded queer story about, you know, two women loving each other and, you know, people mm-hmm. trying to, you know, also trying to map the old format onto it and say that, um, you know, that this is incestuous or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and then of course you also had the fan communities that have tried to like, you know, Oh, they're adopted, and so we can have our we can ship them somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nice to just have it the way it's presented: two sisters that can love each other, and it doesn't yeah. have to be weird or wrong. Um, and that that's a love that's powerful, but it's a love that's expressed differently than the love you have for a romantic partner or whatever. And that it's not one's not lesser than the other; they're equally potent. Yeah. They're equally powerful. Um, so I know I just sort of repeated what you just said, but yeah. <laughs> well, and I and, and and I think that the thing that builds off of it for me, and I think the reason why it should be such a, I don't know, it should be taught, I guess this this movie, is that the realization that the, you know, the whole the whole movie, Ian, the character who's never met his dad, is on this quest to see his dad, and then he has this decision point where. Mm-hmm. He can he can go forward and actually see his dad, and that's when he realizes that he's had this relationship with his brother. But then that also opens him up to realize, you know, based on some of the conversations they've had throughout the movie or whatever. But it's in that moment when he when it clicks for him that what what barley is you, you talked about regret earlier, right? What bar, yeah. barley? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. What barley is carrying is 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 regret and is really it's it's shame, right? It's like self. Yeah self-hatred that he was that he did not see his dad he did not take the opportunity to see his dad before his dad died and so he has been he know in some ways he he's he's more damaged because he knows what he lost and that he made an active choice to right. not have that and so ian makes that 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 love you know that filial love turns into agape love because because ian says there's only a limited time. Somebody has to stay here to do this thing or whatever it was. You know, you take, I'm going to self-sacrifice like this thing that I've been questing for, for this whole, you know, for 16 years, but for two and a half hours of a movie is now it's, it's for, it's actually for you and you need to go in and see dad and talk to him, you know? Yeah. Um, what a, you know, again, spoiler alert, you know, bold move that we never actually hear the dad other than a recording. Right. You know, we don't actually get to see him. We don't really, you know, it's just, we, it's all from afar, which is bold right. for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that thing too, where, and that, that, I think this is the part where I resonate with the character of Ian in the sense of like what he comes to the conclusion of is something I think I came to the conclusion of early on, which is that I don't need this person because the relationship like what I what I've needed in life from the relationship I've gotten other places. So and so I don't need this particular figure to have that sense of fulfillment. 
right? right? So, you know, Ian's had that same kind of thing of, you know, I, you know, I didn't know dad, but I got all the stuff I really wanted from a dad, mm-hmm. you know, out of the relationship that I've had with you and that you, yeah, like you said, he needs this, he needs this closure more than anything else. Right. Um, and, um, you know, that's that kind of sense of like, right, you, you, you don't know what you've missed out on. Right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't because nothing really changes for Ian. He never knew his dad. He's never going to know his dad. It doesn't change anything. Yeah. Um, you know, and he actually it, Ian in a very healthy way is going to put, put himself in a place where he's never going to have regret. Because if you think about it, like he gets just a few hours with his dad is the rest right. of his life going to be like, oh, if only we'd done this thing differently, we could have had more time. We could have been this, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Right, right. So one of the things one of the other things that I love about this movie, and this isn't related to anything that we've been talking about. So it's a little bit of a course change. But one of the things that I've been thinking about, and I think we talked about this in our, in the fandom episodes maybe, but one of the things that I've been realizing in my own life lately and doing some work on is like how powerful and, and toxic cynicism is, um, how it, how it really, it can become an overriding narrative. Um, in my life, I see it in my, I see it in my ministry. I see it among my colleagues. I see it all over Facebook. Like it's, it's just, I think about it in in the, in the terms of in the course of my co- my collegial relationships a lot where I'm always like in these gatherings of clergy I feel like I'm it's like this race to the bottom of like who has the best one liner about this thing that's happening where you know like and and you know and, exactly and, and, what you're talking about. right okay and so so it just it just feels like cynicism and I see it in everything you know but one of the things I'm trying to kind of like think about and and, and reckon with is um, who was it I was listening to or I was talking to somebody I remember listening to something where they were talking about how like I don't want to be defined by what I hate I want to be defined by what I love you know and that that's the last Jedi I don't think it was that is that the message of Star Wars yeah that's funny Um, no it wasn't we don't win by, by destroying what we hate we win by preserving what we love but yeah yeah, well, the, but the, the idea of like, you know, when you're in high school, you're 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 defined by like, like, oh god, the jocks or the, uh, 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 you know, like if you ask yeah. somebody like, who are you? We self-define when we're y- younger. We self-define most often by saying what we're not, right? And that right. part of the part of the journey of self-actualization is to say, who are you? And then be like, this is who I am, and these are the things that I'm really passionate about. And what I love about Another thing that I love about this movie is that it's really a journey of following somebody in the Barley character, the Chris Pratt character, who just like wholeheartedly loves what he loves. And like, no, people have been trying to take it away from him, like for his whole life. You know, he's 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 into history, which is really just magic, which is really just D&D. Right. But like he he's really into it. And it is his like central defining character. And that what happened, what ends up happening on this quest is that his journey and his love, you know, transforms his brother, certainly, but then also just like transforms all these other people who he comes in contact with and they claim who they are. They, they claim the Manticore claims who she is, this badass, you know, fire, fire breathing, sword bearing thing. Even the, even the little pixie biker gang, right? Like they get, right. they, have this, they have this crazy interaction with this. It turns out that pixies have turned into a biker gangs basically because they don't know how to fly anymore like they don't have they don't have that ability anymore and they because of their interaction with the with this couple of kids and the the legs of the dad like 
they re- they realize like that they can fly now and that that's a much better way to get around than riding you know harleys yeah. you know like that 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 keeps the mother is able to claim some of her power you know like it doesn't that 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 his infectious love makes the world around him better yeah and and it gives people permission to love stuff too yeah i um there's a similar theme in moana around you know basically about and i wrote i actually wrote a blog post about this i i should probably do something with it try to get it like published somewhere else because i think that there's some depth in as a church thing a conversation about appealing to deeper tradition rather than recent tradition we tend to look at recent tradition as though that you know but we the problem with christianity we don't go further further enough back to be able to yeah. um, talk about stuff and that's like moana's whole thing right like the dad is trying to use a tradition to say you know, oh, we never leave this island. You know, that's that, that, the whole thing he says in the song. This tradition is our mission. But actually, Moana discovers there's a deeper tradition for her people to be explorers. And that's actually yeah, the way yeah. to go forward. And that's that similar thing to to Barley's character is that he's like, no, we were magicians. We did this stuff. Like, this stuff existed. It was, we were better. We were more fully who we were when we when we were more appealing to this thing rather than, I mean, honestly, you could say like modernity. Modernity came in and ruined us, which that's a deep thing for a, Pixar movie. Well, sure. I don't know. Pixar movies are always really deep. But um, um, but yeah, but that, that same like, kind of thing to Moana. Moana's a very positive, generally a very positive person in the movie. Um, you know, she she's very confident in the sense that, you know, what she this urge that she feels is the thing that's actually true. And the movie is basically about confirming that, that she's something that she's always known to be true. And Barley is a similar kind of character. Um, but I'm with you on that, that we live in this very cynical world. And I love that that race to the bottom of who can have the best quippy one-liner to dismiss right. something. I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and and for me, to speak about it in that specific context instead of, is that that then becomes the entire way that I engage the, the material. Like I had, right. to, I had to, I had to tell a friend like, I'm not going to be texting you. I, I really, I'm, this, this clergy gathering, I'm going to try really hard to not engage this group text where we're just constantly like talk doing this because I because I want to like be better I want I want to be able to like pay pay attention to this not trying to find out how I can be funny because then right. I'm then I'm filtering it through that instead of filtering it through like what can I actually get out of this yeah and that, I mean and with the podcast here I mean there's a temptation for us to do that right like I mean that's that's I mean it's something that I know JP and I you know have wrestled with and um and you've called us out on it a couple times um it's so easy to like tear stuff down right <laughs> i think a little bit about the Katy perry episode by the way because <laughs> it was like but I, I will say i really was excited about engaging with that like i had high hopes with that album and i was like oh this is gonna be fun and then i found out that she was a dirtbag and i was like oh no and then so like that tainted the way i listened to it and the whole time i listened to it i'm like oh no this is, and then i was also like this just isn't good um but whatever so i wasn't actually just like listening to it with the mindset of like let's be yeah how, how, how can i do them Right. How can I take it down? It was actually like, I, I think I tried to actively critically engage with it, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. And I think that, well, and I, I we've talked about this, I think he, you and I, a couple times here about the Episcopal, sorry to get Episcopalian on, on, on you for a little bit, folks, but I feel like the Episcopal church is really guilty of this defining ourselves by what we're not thing. I've realized that over the years because, you know, we we're made up of, we're made up of 
this really interesting combination of cradle Episcopalians and then people who've come to us from other denominations. And those of us who come from other denominations, of course, we come to it with this very convert zeal. And I think that as a result of that, we wind up in leadership positions because we're, you know, that's just the way things work. You show, you show enthusiasm, be on this committee, do this thing. Right. Um, and as a result, I think we've got a lot of people who carry, you know, damage and baggage from their previous denominational, like I know I did early on, their previous denominational upbringing. And so there's this real quick thing of trying to like, oh, we're better, right? What was it? There's that meme. There's a meme that's been going around that said, that said something like Episcopalians or Anglicans um, proclaiming Jesus with a, with a sense of smug superiority since 536 or something like that, whatever. Um, Very much. Yeah. So... There is this sense of like, oh, well, we're, you know, we're we're not like those Christians over there. Totally. And but the problem is that we then don't ever do a really good job of then talking about what it is to be an Episcopalian, yeah. which is why I yeah. think we, we suck at evangelism, mm-hmm. um, because it's it's hard. How do you proclaim good news when your good news is well, we're not that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why I think I was really I was really. I found it really refreshing when Michael Curry first became presiding bishop because he was very proactive in saying, like, you know, we're the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. Like, that's a great phrase. Mm-hmm. You know, let's but we need to go further than just a bumper sticker. Right. We got to know what right. the what the what the benefit is with that. Um, but I think, you know, again, this is for us you know, inside baseball is the Episcopal Church. But I think it does touch so much other things in our life that, you know, we do this really we, we really do need to do a better job of saying you know like and also you can like things just for liking things right you don't have to have a reason right and i think like barley's example of that he likes fantasy he doesn't need a reason (laughs) uh no i'm I'm laughing about i'm looking through quotes from the movie and i'm I'm remembering i didn't get a chance to rewatch right before we before we um before we filmed because it's been it's been several weeks since i watched it but um I'm I'm a sucker in comedy type movies for for foreshadowing. Yeah. And and the whole gelatinous cube thing, like Oh yes. God, it just it paid off so it just played off so well. And I just want to throw that out there. It's so funny because it is such a ridiculous it's such a ridiculous beast, you know. Right. Well but it, and but it's a real thing in in D and they, you know, treat it. Anyway, well, sorry. what I what I do what I do love about what I do love about the way they you talk about subversion, the mm-hmm. gelatinous beast is kind of like an early on encounter in a lot of D and D campaigns. Right. I understand. But it's also like in most in most fantasy video games, like like slimes are a low level thing. They're yeah. not they're not the thing that you're like working up to fight. And the fact that this right. movie sets it up as like the final almost as like the, the mini boss. Right. Is pretty funny. It is pretty funny. Um, and let's While be honest, a gelatinous yeah. cube would be horrifying in real life. Yeah, it would be. It's a that would totally eat stuff. I, I have to tell you, while we're talking about gelatinous cubes and early level encounters, early early encounters, I downloaded a um a Kindle a Kindle book that was free. Um, or like I got it as part of my my Kindle or my my Audible subscription, excuse me. And um and and I gotta tell you what the name of this book. Um, how did how to defeat a demon king in ten easy steps? Great. Um, it is a little. It was a. It's 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 short. It's only. I don't know. Maybe like four hours long or something. And um, maybe only two and a half hours. Anyway, it's a short book. Um, and and it's about. 
it's a great it's a great book. As somebody who loves Zelda, I would highly recommend it for you. But the whole the whole story is about how it's this character who isn't. It's about it's kind of in a Zelda type world where there's this cyclical nature of things that the, the a demon king rises and then a hero is born and the hero goes off on this quest and visits all these temples and then gets the power they need to defeat the demon king and then it happens again you know however many years later or whatever and that this the main character of this book is somebody who is born the demon king the demon king rises a little earlier and then plays politics better and so doesn't actually spur the creation of the hero or something like that and so this basically this kid decides that that she's going to be the the hero and so how does she go about doing that and, and and it's all about how she chooses all these different classes and all this kind of stuff but one of the things that she does is she um in this world everybody battles and everybody gets experience points and all this kind of stuff um and so she puts all of her points into um early on she puts all her points into like slime uh, slime master or something like that to basically become just like super efficient at killing slimes and 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 tracking slimes and then because she's put all these points in this she can she actually is able to find these like super rare slimes that give crazy amounts of experience and it's just like a very funny like play on that idea of like these are the first creatures you you, you usually fight and then you go on to the, the bigger things you know yeah there's a there's an anime um i can't remember the name of it i haven't seen it but i've been but i read the synopsis about it like probably four or five months ago that's about a guy who dies and reincarnates as a slime mm. and so the whole story is him just in a dungeon waiting for the hero to show up wow that's funny um <laughs> just sitting there and they always they always bounce around and stuff too I, it makes yeah. me think about the the dragon the dragon quest series of video games like it's called dragon quest but the most iconic image from those games is like the early the first slime you fight it's yeah. like this little blue anyway we got a little bit off the beaten path it was all in That's the a... fantasy realm but um yeah are there any final thoughts patrick on onward i would highly recommend it if you haven't if you still haven't seen it um make your kids watch it they will thank you uh do it um i will also say just as a sidebar and related news uh friday the um a doc, or this last Friday, the docu series uh, of the making of Frozen Two came out on Disney oh. Plus, and it is uh, also very good. Um, is, I, it like, I, is it gallery? Is it like the Mandalorian? It thing? is kind of like gallery. Yeah, it's, it's six episodes, um, you know, thirty-five minute long episodes. One of the things I really like about it is that you know it, it is it's more of a docu series in that it follows around, it follows in a time in a timeline kind of fashion, you know, in real time. And while the the musicians and the voice actors and the directors and producers are all like the main characters of the documentary. The thing, the moments that I really like the most is that they, is that they check in on kind of the lower level, like animators, you know, the, like the, the woman who's in charge of like, you know, the last 10 seconds of one of Elsa's songs or whatever, you get to see how she kind of does her work. Um, and, and I, and that's just great. You know, like I was telling a mutual friend of ours, um, David Romanek, uh, I was telling him that, you know, she, he was like, he was like, yeah, I didn't know if the girls would be interested in it or whatever. And I was like, I made Ermine watch it. Like if she, because I was like, you know, I didn't want, he was saying, I didn't know if I wanted to like break the fantasy of like what's going on on the screen or whatever. And I'm like, no, I made Ermine watch it. Cause I want her to know, like not only that people put in actual work in there, but that that's something that she can do because if right. she starts like drawing and coding now, like 
She's gonna yeah. she's gonna take over the world. Like, let's get this started. Well, there's a that so, makes me think. Yeah, I highly there's, recommend it. Well, in yeah. uh, in Onward, um, there's you know the extras on Disney Plus. There's like some behind mm-hmm. the scenes stuff. And one of the things they showed that they did is they wanted the animators to know the experience of what Ian was going to be like when he takes that step of faith with the trust bridge spell. Oh. And so they actually plug the thing into a VR headset and they oh put them and they put them on like platforms that only drop down about a foot. But the VR headset makes it look like a bottomless pit. Oh and they're God. holding a, and they're holding a pole like the wet, like the like the thing. The funny thing is that's the thing Ford talks about. Right. He, we watch that, and that's the thing he talks about is that bit. Rather than the actual movie itself, he talks about the behind-the-scenes thing. He's like, all those people were holding those things like a Kylo Ren's lightsaber as they were stepping off this. Um, so, the, yeah, so, like, it, 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 you know, it captures our imagination to kind of see mm-hmm. how this stuff works out and how, it, how it's all made. Um, yeah, I highly recommend Onward. It was I don't know that I would say it was, like, Pixar's best movie, mm-hmm. but it's very different than a lot of Pixar movies. But um, obviously the themes and stuff in it we've talked about are very deep, and I, I want to watch it again. Um, and um, like I said, I would kill, I would kill for a anthology series or something set in that world. Yeah. Like I would love to see like the different corners of what's going on there. Even like um, a comic book adventure or something. Like even a yeah. different media. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be you know something difficult to be animated or whatever. But if there was just like even like a novelization of something or whatever would be cool. Yeah. Um, also, just as a side note, too, um, you know, this movie had its own controversy in that it was like all this big stuff about the fact that it depicts Pixar's first openly lesbian character. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the funny part is, is that it's in typical Disney fashion. It's something that could be oh, easily so edited for places. But it was yeah. um, it was uh, the uh, the Cyclops um, police officer. Um, oh, okay. And pulls them over when they use that spell to look like the Bronco mm-hmm. dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she makes a comment. She she says, um, she says, oh yeah. She's like my my girlfriend's daughter's got me pulling my eyebrow my my eyebrows out or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. But in advance in advance of the movie coming out, there was all this controversy, and apparently, like it was banned in some countries and stuff because of one line of dialogue. <laughs> Um, yeah. Which also just puts me in mind of like have how amazing the end is with the centaur. Yes. Claiming his centaurness. Like yeah. I'm not gonna lie though, that given that this came out when it did, and I watched like the stuff with the fact that she's dating a cop and all that, like I was a little mm-hmm. bit like, hmm, in this media landscape, I don't know. Um it does all right. Yeah. But it it's does good, all right. It is a good movie and um um good themes and um weird it's a weird movie and there's i mean there's so many things we even touched on again like we, we touched lightly on the pixies which are very funny um mm-hmm. we didn't even talk about the mom right um and uh and all that but um definitely good movie definitely good thing to check out um also um continues the trend of fathers not faring well in pixar films hmm. lots of dead fathers in pixar they've got a lot of uh yeah well, you know, it's moms in early Disney, so it's about it's about time we had our due, right? So Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so check it out. All right, well, Patrick, right. it was good having you on, as always. Um, always a pleasure. I miss the, miss the, the real hosts, but um, I've been enjoying this run. Yeah, well, it's been good having you, and, um, you know, as long as growing season continues, you'll be... I'll be on here if you're interested. Of course, um, for the listeners who don't know, um, any minute now I, I could have another baby. Um, yes. My wife is at home um, 
very much pregnant. Um, we so um, that will determine our release schedule, I think, at this mm-hmm. point. So you know, if Kana goes into labor, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. There's a small part of me that kind of wishes that um, the it happens while you're you know, while you're so recording. Be like, yeah. Gotta go. Um, but, her uh, her release schedule will determine your release schedule. Release schedule. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's up? It's your moderator JP. Uh, just pausing this episode for a minute because I wanted to announce that actually, as as of this recording, Father Chuck and his wife Kana have given birth to a newborn baby girl. Uh, her name is Cora Vaughn, and we are all looking forward to the day when Father Chuck has to explain to his daughter that in 2020 daddy was a podcaster anyway congratulations father chuck and kana and on behalf of all of us at masters of divinity welcome to earth cora be sure to check out the grand canyon while you're here um and so with that um remember to like and subscribe um ring the bell um um i don't know support us on patreon i'm just trying to think of all the other stuff that we've got going on but uh, like, subscribe, hit the bell. Pledge to my church. Pledge to Father. Share Christ. this video. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, you can donate on Facebook and uh, on uh, DonorBox.com slash St. Paul's MHK. There you go. We we are not in any kind of online, so you can just make your checks payable to St. <laughs> Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll gladly accept whatever it is you want to give us. Um <laughs> Um, some stewardship specialist would hear this and be like, yes. <laughs> yes, all right. We're getting the viral marketing thing down. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so with right. that, everybody have a good weekend, good journey. Good journey. And uh, mahalo. Mahalo. <laughs> <laughs>